Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we get started, wanted to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube and Twitch, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. Remember, the more followers we get, the more we can give back to the goalkeeping community. Let's all keep paying that knowledge forward, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me, you know him as someone whose USL championship season has finally ended. Las Vegas Lights goalkeeper coach Omar Zini. And joining us, this guy does not need an introduction um, because I think he might be the person who's been on this show more than any other guest. Uh, guys, leading sports psych, you know him as the host of the sports psych show. Dan Abrahams is back. What's up, man? Hey, how are you guys? I'm excited about this, man. I mean, honestly, it's so funny because like uh, Omar and I, we were just talking before the show started just about, you know, and not, not to give away the topic or everything like that, but, you know, just set pieces, set pieces, set pieces, man. I mean, it's like how many games are won and lost on set pieces, right, Omar? Yes, yes. And before we get started, you know, SNL has something called the Five Timers Club. And I think, Dan, you've officially gotten to the Inside the 18 Five Timers Club. So thank you. Awesome. What do I, what do I, what do I win? You know what? In the, in the episodes, when they bring the, the fifth time host out, they have like a, a golden bathrobe, I think it is. So, I mean, when next time we see you, maybe in, in Kansas City, we'll get you a golden bathrobe. We'll, we'll figure oh, it out. We have to get him something for Kansas City because we absolutely will do a show in Kansas City. And then that way we can physically, as opposed to virtually, give you something. That uh, absolutely. Well, I, to be fair, I have already got a golden bathrobe, obviously. Okay. So okay. Uh, made, made of gold. So um, some kind of crown or slippers, golden slippers to, to, to match my golden bathrobe. How about that? Say less. We'll make it happen. Golden slip, golden slippers sounds 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 solid, man. I mean, like, I mean, right. not actual gold. Like, you're not that'd be a little heavy, right? Like, we're trying to talk something <laughs> more like gold plated. I, I'm not too demanding, so yeah, just um, just uh, you could you could throw in a bit of gold plating, absolutely. But um, you know, just 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 some nice slippers with, in a golden color. That that that's fine. Or just buy me a pint. Just I, I'm I'm got it. I'm easy to to bribe that way. Well, 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 Dan. While uh, well, before we kind of we get started with everything, I mean, obviously you've had a lot going on, you know, this past year, and uh, mm. obviously Spike Show has been fantastic, and uh, I mean your subscriber base is just going through the roof when it comes to into your LinkedIn and, and and all your social media and everything like that. Why don't you kind of catch up everybody with uh with what you got going on? Wow, what have I got going on? Um, so um. Uh, from a consultancy perspective, uh, just continuing to work uh, closely behind the scenes. Uh, I'm blessed to work with some of the best players in the world, so I'm getting the opportunity there. Quite a few goalkeepers in, um, you know, in England here, but again, globally. Um, my uh, online academy um, is going great. The Dan Abraham Soccer uh, Academy, aptly called the Dan Abraham Soccer Academy, um, and that that as the name suggests it's an online offering and we've actually supported 23 college programs this past fall um so uh, and they've had some there's been some good exciting success there um what else what else yep carrying on with the sports psych show 
loads and loads of writing, getting articles out there um, every single day um, and just having a really cool, fun time with it, um, doing a bit of a consultancy gig behind the scene with um, a very good club, which will remain nameless at the moment. Um, and some potential exciting opportunities coming up uh, in the next year or so um, internationally. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. That's all I can say. Whether I'm being any good at it or being effective isn't for me to say. Uh, probably d deeply ineffective, um, as as uh, some might say. But, you know, I, I do my best. I try my best. I, I think it's very effective. And my, by the way, my favorite thing is when you say internationally, because I'm thinking some exotic location and you're like, yeah, Kansas City. I'll be in Kansas City in January. For me, that's international. So, Well, I, I am coming to Kansas City. I'm really excited. I've never been to Kansas. So that's that's so, so cool. Just booking my flights at the moment. Um, there is actually one very exotic international location. Again, I can't, I can't. You know, the, 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 the unfortunate about being a sports psychologist is vast majority of work, you have to keep confidential. So I can't, it sounds really posh and really like uh, a bit mission impossible, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to be uh, obtuse about it all, but uh, I actually genuinely can't talk about it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's actually quite an exotic location. Not that I'll see that exotic location. I'll just see my laptop and the Zoom screen, basically. That's all it will be. But there, there might be some palm trees in the background. Let's just say that. <laughs> Well, that's better than the locations, Omar, that you've been traveling in your first uh, USL championship season because uh, you experienced your laptop in exotic locations like Tacoma, Washington. Oof, Tacoma, Vegas. I mean, it was uh, a year. I mean, I think I'm going to need to sit down with, with Dan and then have a conversation after the year that I had. So we'll, well discuss mate, it. We'll discuss it. You say that, but to me as an Englishman, I mean, I love America and I, I there's lots of places I haven't been to, obviously, and that sounds awesome. That Vegas, come on, it's, awesome. It's honestly, it's good when the environment around those trips are great, but it's unfortunate some of the losses we had this year, and and it's it's like emotionally you want to exert like I want to have fun and I want to explore the city, but when you're losing, those moments just don't. I just can't get it out of myself. I can't fake it. Well, Omar, it just sounds like you guys need a good sports psychologist for next year. <laughs> so you know, what do you reckon, Michael? Yes. I, I honestly, I actually was about to, I was actually about to go there because I was going to say the fact is like, so to Dan, to trying to catch you up, uh, Omar has been working with Vegas Lights with a lot of you guys know as LAFC too. And um, being with a reserve team, Dan, I, I, I believe you know, has its own set of challenges for the coaching staff when you got a 12 year old working with a 27 year old one day. And then the next day you got a guy from the first team coming down you know, and, and training and doesn't know any of the guys. And it's obviously kind of a topsy-turvy thing. So yeah. maybe before we kind of start everything off, maybe we could give Omar a little bit of advice after after his first professional season on on, on how to how to handle it from a mental standpoint moving forward. Okay, well, don't put me on a the spot there at all. Then <laughs> let, 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 let me start with a classic scaling question then, Omar. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being awesome and 1 being awful, how do you feel you coped with things mentally? Oh, I would say probably like an 8 or a 9. Like, I, I, I have very, uh, I'm a very positive person, so if one basket is negative, I can find another opportunity to get positive. So I feel like that was a good entry point to, to test that method. And so, therefore, let me let me go down another avenue on a scale of one to ten, with ten being awesome and one being awful. Where <laughs> do you think? And again, obviously, we're going to be uh, on air here, so I, I don't know if this answer is going to be politically correct. But how do you think other people 
in the uh, team or, or organization coped with the mental side uh, of things? Do you, you're talking about losses. Um, yeah. It sounds to me like, you know, if we probed, which ordinarily I probably would do about, well, hey, how come so high? What are you really good at? And then start to probe a bit more around that. But it sounds to me like you want to tell us something about the wider organization and perhaps potentially how it might be a slightly <laughs> lower, lower mark, Omar. I think it was, yeah, uh, probably like a four, four or five. I think it was, it was just a lot of, uh, no, I mean, if I'm going eight or nine for myself, I think just there's certain unfortunate circumstances where you don't have the, I guess the monet, the money to, I mm. guess, um, yeah. multiple board or one person doing a multiple person role. So I think that was the, the issue as, as well as, as a lot of people felt the, because the first burden. team doesn't have any money whatsoever at all. Right? <laughs> No, they do. And it, it's just, again, it was a, it was a new project and it was just one, I think we were, as we were get you know, progressing throughout the season, the first team had injuries. So it was like a lot of fluctuating and fluid movements between the first team and the, and the second team. And then obviously from the Academy to the second team. So we had to, a lot of fluctuation of different players, emotions and, and all that stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a little bit difficult for myself and especially the staff. And so that four, four, four out of ten, and Michael, please stop us if you want to crack on with the rest of the uh, podcast. But that four out of ten. Well, so... I love seeing Omar get psychoanalyzed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, obviously we're talking about the wide organization. I don't, Omar, yeah. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. So please uh, t- okay. say, take take the Fifth Amendment, right? If uh, okay, okay. if you have to. Um, so uh, if you're giving us giving the wider organization or wider team uh, four out of ten, t- tell me a little bit about that. Why? why so like, what did you what did you see that you might like to have uh, seen um, players uh, cope better with? I think there was, you know, again, it's very new for me. So I'm very used to having in my private setting, the goalkeeper, I have their attention, I have their focus. We're, we're speaking about the session prior to the session, during the session, and then a day or two after we're still dissecting it. And then this year we had issues where, you know, uh, some movements with the first team and their goalkeepers and my starting goalkeeper, our starting goalkeeper became essentially the starting goalkeeper for the first team. So we brought someone else in and then he became our starter. And the first team said, well, we only have two goalkeepers. So we're going to use your goalkeeper as a training goalkeeper. So now that element that I am used to, I don't have it anymore. I only see him a day before the game. <clears throat> a day before the game and then at the game and then the next week the cycle can, uh, uh, returns to, to normal he goes and trains monday through thursday uh wednesday then thursday with me then friday game and then saturday back with the first team so it was just one of those things where i wasn't i wasn't used to it so emotionally it's like a very like am i buying into this because i don't get to see the guy anymore or do i find different ways to stay connected to this person while they're with the first team so that when they come back that bridge has already been built yeah yeah no i i i appreciate the challenge there and i love what you said uh you know you posed the idea of finding different ways um under the rubric of thinking outside the box right um but just finding different ways to stay connected as you said that social cohesion um and probably also trying to um garner feedback uh, around what's going on at the first team level you know uh, how 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 is he how he's doing what he's doing well what he feels he can do better um the experiences he's had with you how does that translate to to his training how can you be uh, so, so so getting feedback from from him from that perspective but then also offering uh your your um 
I'm going to say services, but that's probably the wrong term here, but offering your coaching by uh, asking him how you could potentially help from a distance, even though he might not be with you every single day. What can you reinforce for him? How can you, how, how can he benefit from, from, from your, your voice, your wisdom? Not that yeah. you'd necessarily say, how can you benefit from my wisdom? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, asking, asking him, you know, what, how can, how can um, you be involved here? Do you want me involved? How can I, how can I be involved? That's going to help you. Yeah. I think that was probably for me, like I said, it was, it was probably taking more of an initiative to, to speak with this, you know, the first team goalkeeper coach and say, look, you know, these are the things that I noticed over the weekend. Um, you know, I, I, if you can put some sessions together or in the sessions as they come out organically, these are the things we, we know we saw over the weekend. If yeah. you notice them, uh, obviously be assertive and, and, you know, coach, coach them through it. But if you, if you, you know, don't see it, uh, and or you see it and you want to have a conversation with me and get my opinion on it, let's do that. So I feel like, yes, I think you're right, though. I think it probably could have been more synergy uh, with the initiative that I personally take. No, I mean, I, it, 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 there's no judgment there. It's just, it, it's just such an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because it's such a huge human challenge when you've got the change of personnel week in week out and it's it's something that I have experienced when I've been um, consulting with let's say Premier League clubs and it happens all the time because what 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 at least the environments I've been in often the manager or head coach of that Premier League team has wanted to utilize under 23s players um, mm. for his activities his 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 training drills which is completely understandable um, and so subsequently um, the capacity to flex as a coach not just with your activities and sessions because they're going to be disrupted but also mentally uh, as well it, it's enormously challenge challenging and so uh, th that flex probably requires talking to yourself literally possibly not out loud but being able <laughs> to negotiate with yourself um, negotiation with yourself is such an important thing to be able to to do and it's a skill to build in order to adapt to manage your emotions and it, it, it comes with that territory doesn't it when you're when you're with a b squad if that's how you want to describe it or an under 23 squad so it's kind of experiencing the pain and dealing with it anyway and finding uh finding where you can add most value to the organization it, it's all yeah. that thrown into the mix but also omar i think for me it's also when i talk to coaches under 23s and beating coaches about this it's also giving yourself space to express your frustration probably not in the manager or the head coach's office i'm not <laughs> suggesting that but just to yourself just yes it is frustrating and it's not going to go away you know it's not an ideal situation and often as human yeah. beings we have to choose you know we have to deal with less than ideal situations it's not going to change what can i can control what can i do how can i be the best that i can be in this instance how can i be better next week perhaps um and and go from there and use them as to coin a cliche use them as learning experiences and 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 build from there until one day you are the head honcho buddy uh, <laughs> of the u.s national team as the goalkeeper goes so yeah yes like you said there's all experiences and i think for me it, it, it's getting you out of your comfort zone and then seeing how you are in those discomforting like positions i guess but then yeah. eventually over time um these same moments that i like you said if, if i do progress into the next role I know for a fact that the person that's working underneath me and then the person who's working in the academy system, there's got to be that synergy where we all feel as though there's encouragement through a, through a you know, tumultuous season. 
there's got to be some encouragement. There's going to be ups and downs, but obviously having that pulse now, because I've been there, having that pulse and being able to extend that olive branch and say, look, this is probably where you're going to be. How are things going? And even just a simple question of like, you know, do you want to come observe the training? Do you want to see what your goalkeeper is doing? Great. Let's have synergy. So I think, yeah, you're right, though. It's all learning steps and, and the big picture. And I, and, I, and I love the last thing to say here, Michael, I love what you're saying there because it's, it's, it's part of the psychosocial, the biopsychosocial piece, uh, you know, managing down, uh, we have to manage up. Um, we also have to manage down, especially if we're in uh, positions of power or key decision-making positions. And so what you're talking about is learning from your experience now to build the capacity to manage down in yes. the future, which is, um, Amen. yeah, it's so important in the organization. So, yeah. Yeah. Good. Real quickly, Dan, because I, I have this question right now and then, and then we can move on to the topic. Right. But like, is this something that you find very common with coaches when they they're in a reserve environment and they start mm -hmm. trying to have trying to self self doubt or, or value what their worth is in the organization because they they don't they don't know if what their role is because it's yeah. a little it's a little vague. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I maybe incumbent on them is to actually define what their role is within those vague parameters, perhaps. Um, and maybe you have to do that yourself. I mean, you are allotted the title of under 23s coach or B team coach. And, 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 and that's, that's fine. It's having a clear understanding of what that entails um, and what helps you there and what hinders you there, what challenges you specifically got. Um, and um and and behaving uh, striving to behave accordingly um you know whilst managing the all those thoughts feelings emotions sensations motivations that are bubbling away under the surface i mean it's 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 enormously challenging michael and i can't emphasize enough what you know omar is going through i can only speak from my own experience and i've been fortunate blessed to be in a number of let's say here in england championship and premier league clubs um whereby perhaps my role has in included or incorporated working at that under 23s level and um, formerly under 21s and it's it's exactly that and it and it's kind of like you're in i suppose sometimes it, you have this title but at the same time it feels like you're in no man's land uh and it feels like you're banging your head up against the brick wall because you've got to help develop these players and yet often these players are being taken away from you to make up the numbers at first team level and again it's not pointing fingers at first team level it's just it just is the way it is um and again, it's giving yourself space. It's, it's flexing along that continuum in terms of giving yourself space to feel frustrated, to experience frustration because you're a human and as human beings, we love certainty. Um, you know, we love uh, to have those familiar patterns every single day. So it, it's giving yourself the space in the right way to uh, experience that frustration. Yet at the same time, acknowledging the notion that you've got to be the be able to flex pretty quickly onto but i've just got to get on with it uh, yeah. and then take the, the the take the learning experiences away from being able to adapt your training session pretty quickly as a consequence of losing some players um uh, adapt pretty quickly mentally as a consequence of feeling frustrated about being in that no man's land if you like so it it is a it is that whole reframe it as quickly as you can understand where you are be patient uh, advance yourself learn as much as you can until you get to the point where you don't have to do that anymore i mean uh, i mean th th I, I feel like honestly like uh, omar dan just did this so i don't you don't have to call me now so this is fantastic <laughs> this is great 
it's a good perspective. No, it's it's yeah, always no. nice to get out of your own head and hear a different perspective. And obviously, somebody who has has spoken to so many different people, and you've heard, I'm sure, every angle of this. So you've been able to have a very holistic understanding of of kind of what we go through. So, I've Omar, I've seen coaches throw things at the wall based on suddenly <laughs> they've lost, uh, and 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 that would be a light uh, example of of what they've done. His the things I've seen historically, based on the fact that um, they've organised their session plan um, to the mm. to to to, to the, the T, if you like, and and um, suddenly that's been taken away from them. Um, uh, and there'll be quite, probably quite a few people listening in because um, I know what a li- listener, advanced listenership you have, and there'll be a lot of people listening in, sort of nodding their head, and knowing far more about that experience than than I do. Uh, I just I just historically have just watched on and felt empathy for that for that person and then scuttled away sort of uh being thankful that i don't have to deal with that situation so uh yeah yeah it's it's tough it's challenging you know um dan i i geez i i really do want to get to the topic but i i just feel like there's one more thing that that i, I want to help omar with and that's the the difficult thing is like when you're in a reserve you know situation wins and losses don't really matter to the organization, to the first team. They, they're, they're not concerned about it, yet they matter to you and they matter to the development of, of your players. How, Omar, obviously this was very challenging for you this year because of the fact that your team, because of the injuries, because of players going up to the first team consistently, you having to play a lot of academy players, you know, the wins and losses, you know, 15-year-olds playing against grown men is very difficult. So, you know, how... You know, Dan, do you give any, any advice for, for somebody in, in Omar's position in regards to dealing with those losses and, 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 and kind of understanding the macro as opposed to the micro? Well, if I can answer a question, do, do, do the classical psychologist uh, piece here by ask, answering your question with a question back, but to directing to Omar, you know, everything Michael's just said there, what was your, your experience of that um, this past year? I think, like you said, it, it, within the organization, you find out where you stand and having that clarity is very, certainty, like you said, is, is very important. So I think early on, myself and the young staff that we had, we all realized, okay, it's not about wins and losses for us. If it's not about that, what are things that we could try to flip the switch on that we may have never even um, gotten to, but this, this experience is expedited? Get to that so that when we do get to the macro, we have an understanding of all the little micro things that we were trying to implement that help this player, if they were sold or they were moved on to the first team, help them build the pieces to their career. And this very moment, that's what we're installed for. So yes, to answer your question, what he said was right on point. I tried to find other opportunities to help the goalkeeper influence. And if I didn't have those ideas, I had to get to, okay, flush them all out, write down all the little things that I think this goalkeeper needs to develop. Well, if I can't work on it this week, here's another opportunity that I can work on this piece. So there's always different ways to, to manipulate the situation for yourself. I love what you're saying there because it's making me think of the importance of engaging players in the granular detail of performance um, uh, in a, in a development uh, environment and, and and look to to a degree I say this and if in, if anything actually I'm sort of sitting down with certain players let's say again in the English Premier League and actually they'll play first team uh, football they'll, they'll have a name for themselves and be very very uh, good players um, but actually you're trying to help them get into the granular detail because that's often where excellence lies you know without them getting um, lost in the process lost in the granular detail that's often where you want them to be we're so socialized in high performance sports around outcome 
and performance. And when I say performance, often we're socialized into the performance factors that we can't control, such as goals scored, uh, um, clean sheets, uh, completed passes, and so on and so forth. And I'm not, I know I'm I acknowledge I'm not talking about goalkeeping here, but just in general. Um, and, it, and it's recognizing that, okay, well, I'm coaching an environment here whereby the outcome is kind of taken away from us. And so it's becoming comfortable with that, that notion. And that can actually feel quite uncomfortable because we're so socialized into win and loss. Um, we're socializing to performance in a manner that, as I've described, which it tends to orient towards the performance factors that you can't control. And it's kind of orienting towards the performance factors that you can control, the, the, the granular detail, the runs, the movements, um, you know, I suppose in goalkeeping parlance, the, the, the footwork, the handling, and so on and so forth, and really getting um, uh, uh, as you said, Omar, micro about that and uh, having fun with the player to develop a, an individual development plan um, to work on that, chip away at that every day, chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it, improve, improve, improve. Um, you know, looking to find um, little benchmarks on the way. Uh, if, if we can have any data, can we create data around those performance factors that we can control? Um, and um, and that might be using video during training to analyze, you know, movement and handling and footwork and stuff like that. Again, stuff you guys would know much better than me. So if we can really get there with those things and keep our athletes, keep our goalkeepers, keep our players there with that granular detail, um, that really helps us to turn our attention away from the outcome and away from the performance. Um, that's that's what I'd say to that. I mean, honestly, man, I just I feel like this is like really leading right into this conversation right here, which today's topic, guys, is the psychology of set pieces. And when we're talking about, you know, that aspect, that aspect of the of the granular and you're talking about, you know, um, these little micro these little micro details um, that whether they're physical, whether they're mental, that sort of thing. I, I find personally myself, and I, I can just throw myself under the bus. It is the one area of the game that, that I feel really was the reason that I didn't go to a further level than I did. And I, I played at a reasonable level, but, but I feel like I could have played at a farther level if I had had the, the mental understanding of, of the set pieces. And, and as we even know, even at the highest of levels, Games are won and lost on, on set pieces, especially the moment before the actual action. So, Dan, kind of while we're starting out, maybe for some parents out there that don't know what we mean by this, what do we mean by kind of the psychology of, of a set piece or a dead ball situation? Um, well, OK, so let's uh, let's do the psychology trick of coming back to Omar. How would you define the psychology of the set piece? I can define it how I've seen it in my career and yeah, I'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll I, build on it. I think for me, when it's live play, I always yep. had no stress because I said, well, if I make a mistake here, it it's not everybody's focused on just me. But when the set piece comes, I'm like, okay, I have to come make a play on this. And if I do and I miss it, the ball goes in. So I felt like there was always a heightened sense of culpability with a mistake or a goal with a dead ball situation because everything was stopped and patterns in front of you were were there but when it's a live ball 
things are fluctuating and moving. So no one's going to blame you because things are moving around and fluctuating. So what I'm hearing you say there, and, and, and almost to, to, to your point, Michael, of, you know, if you'd been better at this, then your career might have gone further. But what I'm hearing you say there, Omar, is it, it's, uh, it's uh, a, a stressful moment that can create performance anxiety. Um, listening to you, Omar, I, I wrote down three words um, that I think are essential when it comes to, to mindset, and that's attention intensity and intent attention to pay attention to pay attention to the task at hand intensity which goes hand in hand with attention uh, attention so it's a, a mental intensity it's uh being uh, uh tuned in to what you're doing it's to be activated um and then um intent intent to have a positive intent to execute your actions um, positively, uh, maybe with confidence. And what I'm hearing you say, Omar, so if we take attention, intensity and intent, I've written down three other words, which are the opposite in many respects or the challenge here. If we're in a stress, stressful situation and we, ex we can experience performance anxiety, we can be distracted rather than attentive attending to the task at hand we can be anxious as i've said and so overly activated we're not at the right intensity we're overly activated maybe we're worried we're doubting we're shaking we're we're distracted as well by paying attention to the physical sensation of that um, and as a consequence we're missing the cues and the clues and the triggers around us with the set piece perhaps we're missing where it's preventing us from communicating what we want to communicate in that moment because the goalkeeper is such an important part of that process um, across the defensive line um, and then finally rather than a positive intent an inhibition to be inhibited because it's such an important moment as you said it's a dead ball situation rather than a live ball situation and and so subsequently there's an extra onus on you to get this right and so you can become a little bit inhibited about that again anxious doubting worried uh, and so you don't execute your actions as positively as maybe you should do as freely as maybe you should do as front foot as maybe you should do so you don't come for that catch as effectively as perhaps you normally do you stay a little bit flat footed um your dive isn't as athletic as it perhaps could be because you are inhibited so to sum up there i think when we think about the mental side of set pieces we want to be in a high performance mindset in that moment we want to pay attention we want to pay attention we want to be able to scan and 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 be able to communicate and organize um we want to be be ready to execute with intensity and with positive intent and we want to avoid a low performance mindset where we're distracted anxious and inhibited I mean, Dan, you brought up something right there that I was just, you know, I'd never really even thought about right there. And that was the is that I'm always thinking about from the dead ball situation, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. And you're you brought up something that I never even thought about is that sometimes people deflect their attention because they don't want to deal with the moment because of the level of pressure. So they kind of divert their attention to, to something else going on so that they don't have to be hyper focused. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, I, I think actually it's almost a, it could almost be an unconscious thing whereby, um, you know, because it's, if one perceives it as a pressurized moment and that, again, that perception uh, to perceive that might not be something that's consciously, oh, wow, I'm feeling the pressure here. It, it It's literally automatic. It's happening to you. You are experiencing that bit of stress, that bit of anxiety in that moment. And so what your attention does is it turns inwards. It turns inwards to focus on the sensations, the feelings, the emotions that you're experiencing in that moment. It's a natural evolutionary thing that we have because it's like your brain going, okay, what's going on down there? Essentially, in many respects, and and so your attention turns inward. Well, that's at a big problem in football, and it's a big problem as a, as a goalkeeper because it, if anything, you want to engage in scanning, where you're going to be scanning the opposition, you're going to be scanning the ball, you're going to be scanning your defenders, you're going to, and alongside that scanning, you're trying to organise them. So you're not paying attention on the right thing to organise. You're not paying attention on the ball. You're not paying attention uh, on all of those things, that split attention in many respects that you need. You're, you've gone inwards. And that's a, that's a almost like under pressure. That's what we do under pressure is we turn our attention turns inward. So it, it's as much a, a, an automatic process that actually happens to you that you've got to be able to identify in the moment and then shift your attention outwards onto um, the, 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 the tasks that you've got, which are multiple. And that's why it's so demanding. That's why you're saying it's such a demanding situation for a goalkeeper because you've got multiple tasks that you've got to pay attention to. And maybe if it's, if you perceive it as pressure, everything about you is turning inwards. You know, and Dan, what you just brought up right there, Omar, I'm just thinking uh, from a coaching standpoint, from a, from a, from a you know, a, a goalkeeper coaching standpoint, how many times have we, you know, in our, in our young careers, you know, come across a, a goalkeeper and the coach goes, oh, they just don't care. They just don't care. But maybe, Omar, maybe they care too much. And because of that, that's why they they, they look disinterested in the moment. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've never come across anybody who says, like, okay. that keeper doesn't care. Um, but, I mean, I haven't coached the younger levels as much as probably other people have. So I'm sure there's probably more of that uh, shaping of the personality at that young of an age that you're seeing that more often. I just know for me, whenever the opposing team took a, sh a short free kick, I was excited. I was very happy. And I would be upset when the referee would blow it back because now we actually have to deal with a set piece. So I think, uh, Dan, the question that I have for you, though, is that, you know, I think analyzing the younger goalkeepers that I have worked with, I think, again, those you talk about it in the last few episodes about uh, automatic negative thoughts, you know, and right away it, it, it comes up and they can't decide for their emotions and the intent of wanting to do good or the intent of those negative feelings trying to bring them down. And I just feel like, do you, are there, for example, for us coaches, maybe that we could try and replicate some of the emotional distress in training? Is that just about repetitions or, because I know there's probably, you know, again, case by case basis, but have you had an experience um, where coaches trying to uh, develop something like a, you know, a punishment or something to get those, you know, those flares up yeah look it's a really good question and just very very briefly just to go back to michael's point i i, I actually don't disagree with you michael i mean I, I think it's i think it's uh ultimately i think any communication from a coach is um you know every coach strives to be the best coach that they can be at least 
that that's my experience uh, and sometimes it's a it's a lack of knowledge and a lack of skill that can let some coaches down possibly to no fault of their own um but um it, i i think that you know we have to continue to bang the drum that it's not so much that people don't care or the converse is it's not so much that people don't have passion to do well. Um, it's just that a player there in goal, especially a young player, might just not have the skill set to be able to deal with that situation in the moment. And that goes right the way up to the very highest level. A goalkeeper might not have the skill set, whether it's a mental, technical or tactical challenge, might not have the skill set to deal with that in the moment. Anyway, I thought I'd, I'd say that. Um uh, where were we? So with Omar, uh, great question, Omar. And, and really, I think this comes under the um, title of uh, consequences and, and placing consequences into your activities in order f- uh, to help uh, to, to help a goalkeeper experience anxiety um in in an activity because when you're training when you're practicing the anxiety felt is probably not uh, and or and or probably never going to be what they experience during a game and you're probably never going to completely replicate that however you can turn up the volume uh, of anxiety and and i do wonder if historically just in general um sport has has, has lent itself too much towards the word punishment um and, and, and that punishment has tend to be a, be a physical punishment. And that's not to suggest that that can't be effective and efficacious some of the time. However, I think you can have loads of fun with consequences, to be quite honest. Um, and I've had loads of fun. Uh, I do this. Uh, probably I do this a little bit more with golfers, actually, um, uh, um, in, in that world. But, um, you know, uh, adding consequences into activities is a really uh, effective way to turn up the volume of anxiety. So a, an example could be um, if uh, I don't know what the task would be and you guys could fill in the blanks here. But for uh, if a goalkeeper fails to achieve a task, accomplish a score of some form, then as an example, he or she has to wash the car of the coach. Um, that is an example of a consequence. Okay. You might think that's a terrible example. You might think that's a great example. That is an example, which it's not so much that it's, that's going to create nerves. It just, that that's a, a nuisance to have to do. And so subsequently what somebody might not feel is nerves, but just uh, a little bit of edginess about it. Well, I don't really want to have to do that. That's going to be a pain. And so suddenly you turn up volume of importance, Rather than turning out the volume of anxiety, you're turning out the volume of importance. It's really just thing. So for another example, a more extreme example could be if you've got a group of, um, and I don't, you wouldn't do this for very young uh, levels, but I don't know, let's say 16, 17, 18 year old goalkeepers. Let's say you've got a handful of goalkeepers and they're playing a little competition within an activity and the one who finishes last, the others get to write a text message to anybody they want to on that person's phone for example now you might have some boundaries and borders as to what that text message could look like okay um it can't be too rude and it can't be too uh, uh too bad however um again 
you you as that goalkeeper, you are not going to want to lose. You're not going to want to finish last because you do not want somebody to have the ability to send a text message to a friend, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a parent, whatever whatever it is. Yeah. And so that's going to create some anxiety. Yeah. Last thing to say here is, look, to to understand this, clearly, if we went out onto the pitch and we did something like that and we said, if you fail in this task, you owe me a million pounds, a million dollars. This is to caricature this, but you are you are obviously going to turn up the volume of anxiety massively. So it's finding that sweet spot. It's finding... Um, the right consequences that is going to turn up the volume of importance, turn down the volume of confidence, maybe turn up the volume of anxiety. There are things there and you can have lots of fun deciding what that would be. So that's what I would say there. Yeah, I think just, I mean, I, you know, again, growing up and I've said this on like my own personal podcast, like just about how I dealt with, you know, ADHD when I was playing, how I dealt with a lack of, you know, focus in the game. It was trying to, dialed in my communication because that was again keeping me involved in the game but also distracting certain things and levels in my mind that were distracting me from the game so distracting from the distraction I guess and I think for for me when it came to uh, eventually trying to get better with set pieces I tried to find a way where my communication was the something that that contrasted the in, the inhibiting, I guess, notions of being nervous and those automatic negative thoughts. So I know for any young kids out there, for me, that was a good solution. It may not be for everybody, but finding something that it's a give and take, something to fill in that void. Yep. So, so I, and thank you for that. And maybe I misunderstood your, your question because you're talking about a mental technique there. So you're using uh, communication to shift your attention away from the feelings of anxiety towards doing a specific task that you could control. And we'd uh, come back to anything from things we've talked about all the time on this podcast, like a game face. Uh, I talk in my books about a match script, which I help goalkeepers create all the time. You can utilize self-talk because if we talk about uh, automatic negative thoughts, ants, as I call them, those thoughts are automatic. But the opposite of that is self-talk. You do your self-talk. Your thoughts happen to you. You do your self-talk. So yeah. talking back to those thoughts is another technique. Using your body language or embodiment is another technique. Your communication, as you said there, there are multiple mental skill, mental techniques to become more mentally skillful in that area absolutely um so that can that's something that comes first so please excuse me if i misunderstood your question the way i understood your question there which i think is really relevant is how do we create a coaching environment that is conducive to using those mental techniques testing those mental techniques where the volume of anxiety is really turned up because the reality is we go to our practices with our mates everything's very relaxed it's it by and large it's fun and no matter how demanding your coach feedback is and it can be very demanding you can really turn up the volume of demands fine as long as you're not abusive but uh you can turn up the volume of demands but it's still not going to mirror what it's like out there on you know if you're representing the u.s uh men's or the u.s women's national team in a world cup qualifier or world cup a World Cup game for the women for the World Cup final. Uh, so, so you've got to try to get as close to creating an environment that mirrors that as close as possible. That that's I think alongside those um, techniques, mental techniques are re is really important, Omar. 
Yes, yeah, no, um, you were right. Sorry, I, I just I shifted gears before uh, before we closed. <laughs> that's that right. Omar, Omar, Omar can do that. He can go from subject to subject in his head before he moves on. <laughs> verbally. No, I, no, I was like, got all paranoid there. I was thinking, did I understand <laughs> completely wrong? No, but um, I think again. Sorry, my, one last thing before we move on from this. But I think I think rehashing those moments and those situations from a coaching uh, perspective, I think, is so important and communicating and saying, Dan, what did you feel in that moment? What, what is that feeling that you have inside of you? Because I think for me, when I have social anxiety, you know, as I've gotten more socially or more, more aware as I've gotten older about like, why is, is this situation make me feel a certain way? Or how can I um, find a way to develop skill sets to combat this? And I think, again, for, for me as a coach, one of the things that I learned from this season was, okay, well, if again, the results or things around the results weren't the primary focus and our goalkeeper is getting bashed sometimes with goals. What are conversations that I could have with him so that he knows that even though the team performance is not great, if he allows himself to drop down to that level or to a level um, that uh, doesn't allow him to separate himself from the team results, coaches in the MLS or in, in you know, progressing teams, they're going to look at that and not be able to di uh, differentiate him from the team. So again, it was those opportunities to find those times to sit down and develop those skills of like, Yes, everything around you, the the macro might seem a little crazy, but the micro has to be on point, which, again, the set piece is the, ma the macro, and then the personal, I guess, approach to it is the micro. Well, it's, it's the psychosocial, isn't it? And I always say the technical, tactical and physical pieces, as important as they are, are underpinned by the biopsychosocial piece, the component. And and just speaking um, to, 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 to something you said there, finding the time to sit down with a player, I would actually say, and I think we seem to remember saying this on, on the podcast last time, is that it's, it's in between the reps. It's in between the sets. It's in between the activities. Those moments are really valuable moments. I remember talking, uh, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, with uh, Ant White, uh, formerly of Bournemouth, now of uh, England, uh, the English FA, working with the national teams uh, at Bournemouth when we were doing uh, you know, work there together. And um, you know, Aaron Ramsdale was there, obviously doing Rammers, doing very well now with Arsenal. And Mark Travers, uh, who's now the first team, goalkeeper at Bournemouth and Irish international and uh, a lot of the you know we had lots of conversations and and did lots of work together but I always remember us having a really good conversation really uh, robust conversation around what we do in between sets and reps and there tended to be a lot of casual chat and sometimes that's great sometimes you want that that casual chat for social bonding social cohesion etc building establishing coach athlete relationships other times they're really good moments to garner feedback from what just happened to perhaps, uh, as, as as you said, Omar, to to actually try to elicit from the player through the questions that you ask, you know, how they're feeling, how they felt before, when it's gone wrong, how they felt, what they experienced under pressure. Those are great moments because they've got their goalkeeping gloves on at that time. They've got their cleats on. You've got the posts there. You're actually doing the actions. So it's not in the dining hall, which you can do it there, or it's not in a classroom. It's actually there. there and it might be a, a, a minute chat here, two minutes chat there in between activities. That's fine. Have those have those great conversations. I want I want to do this right now. I want to um and and I got the permission of uh of Las Vegas Lights goalkeeper coach Omar Zini for this. We're gonna throw up some Vegas clips from uh from this season uh, on set pieces. And I kind of want I would love to get your feedback, Dan, on kind of what what's going through somebody's mind in, in these scenarios. And then Omar, if you can kind of break down these these plays, kind of 
before they happen so that everybody kind of knows uh, what we're, we're talking about here. Oh, I'll to hold on. Let me freeze it here. So first one here, uh, Omar, why don't you walk us through this? Cause you, you know, you know this much better than us. This is against Tampa. I get, I think it was one of the last games of the season. Yeah, it was probably a little dead on, you know, straight set piece free kick. And we had everybody holding the 18. It's about 45 yards out maybe. And so yeah, everyone holding the 18 playing a little zone. Um, and then again, there's a lot of space between the 18 and our goalkeeper, Alex. So there's a lot of space for him to come and influence the play. Now, one, one of the things I want to bring up right here for, for people out there who are listening who might not be familiar with kind of the USL is that Tampa is one of the best teams in the USL championship. They're an independent club that does, is not associated with an, an MLS first team. So they're, they're ty- trying to win a title. Uh, Vegas is on the lower end right now from a standing standpoint. So this is a massive – you guys are 1-1 with one of the best teams in the USL. This is a massive situation for you guys, Omar. And, and Dan, I, I think – one thing I want to do, Mike, for this one is is mm-hmm. explain kind of what some goalkeepers that I've worked with, what they want to see in this situation. And then, Dan, you can tell me how maybe we can combat that or develop skills around it. Is that okay? Please. Yeah, I'll try. Okay. Okay. Um, for me, in when I was younger, in these situations, the ball was a little bit wider. I would tell myself, I personally would rather have my defenders deeper just so if I did come and miss the ball or I came and, you know, uh, mispunched it or miscleared it, there isn't as much of an onus or as much of a, a accountability on my end because I ran into somebody or I was going through traffic. Now, when you have that much space in the way Alex dealt with it here, the 18, you have about, let's say, a, a 10, 10 to 12 yard buffer of space where everyone expects you in this dead ball situation. That's the goalkeeper's area. Now there's more accountability. And now it's an obvious for, for the spectator. It's an obvious. This is where the goalkeeper is going to come and get it. So I think for me, it was always like, how can I make it not as obvious by dropping everybody deeper so that it's not my fault if I do mess up versus here, which is where the highest levels that's how you're supposed to play it. Leave that space open so you can come in and influence it. It's interesting there what you're saying, and uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it, as you were speaking there, it sounded like, so uh, the, the brain kind of works in two, one of two ways. It works approach or avoidant. It works towards or away from. And I, I, I come back to positive intent versus inhibition. A positive intent is focused on what I want. It's approach. Um, it's front foot, if you like. Um, inhibition is away from. It's anxiety. It's back foot. And so listening to you, and it'd be good to, for you to come straight back at me here, Omar. It sounded to me like you were trying to set up your defenders or an ideal setup for your defenders was aligned with an avoidant approach, a slightly inhibited approach, because you were focused on what you didn't want. You were slightly fearful as a consequence of that. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, more than fair. So what I would be saying here is that, and I'd actually, I've, God, when I was a goalkeeper, I was about 13 years old. And I'm quite a small chap, so as you can imagine, that actually ended up pretty badly. Not that height is necessarily everything, but, you know, anyway, so I could put myself 
and look at the world through that goalkeeper's eyes. And and and, and here's the thing, and maybe this is a, a blanket statement about set pieces, you know, as as this conversation is evolving, is that we're talking about decision making here. And we're talking about there's three types of decision making on the pitch that are going on all over the pitch. There's um, slow decisions where there's a lot of time and that can be like your, you've got there. That can be um, when a defender is carrying the ball out of defense and looks up and has a number of options. That's slow decision-making. There's fast decision-making where, you know, you're, you, you scan you look left, you look right, you're scanning, the ball comes to you, you've seen what you scanned and you immediately play a pass, you know, to a teammate that you've just seen. That's fast decision-making. And then there's no thought decision-making, uh, a perception action, uh, and not instinctive, but an intuitive. And that happens quite a lot as a goalkeeper because you make an intuitive, quick save, you know, that you only just see the ball really quickly. You've got no time to think and no thought decision. And with set pieces in this instance, but in set, with set pieces in general, there's a lot of time to think, isn't there? And, you know, I was a pro golfer and everybody says golf is psychological because there's so much time to think. And so it's a little bit more akin to that. It's almost like a golf shot where there's a lot of time to think. And it's so easy to become avoidant, inhibited in that moment. You're focusing on what you don't want. And you're kind of your brain, the way your brain is designed is almost in that manner. It's, it, it's designed to scan for threats and listening to Omar there. It's seeing the threat of how my defenders are, um, you know, their, their, their positioning and, you know, where they are. And, you know, the terms for that better than I would, but um, their defensive shape and, uh, and, 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 that doesn't suit you. And so you're anxious, you're worried, you're doubting, you're inhibited. So, so, so you're in that uh, um, inhibited mode, you're in avoidant. But a goalkeeper, you, for me as a coach, you've got to train a, a goalkeeper to be in avoidant mode as little as possible. I'm not saying never, but as little as possible. You've got to be in approach mode. So you've got to be, um, what's got to be rifling through your head is, um, and again, I come back to how I work. I want a goalkeeper to have a game face in that moment because I want to be making decisions. I want to be seeing things in the style of my game face. So I'm going to come back to some of the things that we've spoken about in the past. So uh, brave, confident Edison is a goalkeeper I work with or sharp, dominant, a black as in the Atletico Madrid. I want that goalkeeper to be sh um, uh, sharp and dominant, sharp and dominant, 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 dominant. I want him to hold himself dominant because that's going to put him or her in approach mode. They're not going to be inhibited they're going to be approached in that moment. So imagine that goalkeeper there. It's a pretty straight on free kick, as you've said. The defence are in front of you and you've got to, you can command and demand where you want them to be, but they're there right now. And so you need to hold yourself in your game face mode in a particular way. For example, dominant, dominant, dominant. And then you want to be, you want to be assertive coming for that catch or sharp coming for that catch. You've got to make an assertive decision. You've got to be ready to make that decision. Um, so 
uh, I, I again, I'm coming back to, I want the goalkeeper to be in a game face so that they're taking charge of themselves in that moment. They're dominating themselves in that moment um, to be able to deal with the slow decision that they're having to make. There's lots of time. And then I want them to make that decision in that game face mode. Now, one more thing here, where that, free kick especially becomes very challenging in my opinion is that that decision making point because you've got to make the decision based on a number of factors haven't you and again you guys would know better than me which is you know the flight and the pace of the ball where the where the uh, uh, offensive team are where my defenders are and i've got to make a decision on that so i need to make sure i'm in my game face but i'm i'm i am looking at the right things i'm scanning the right things in order to make that effective slow decision in that moment so your focus of attention must be external in that moment it must be scanning players ball um and making a judgment based on the speed of the ball i'm guessing the height of the ball again you guys would know better than me and what my defenders and what the opposition are doing and you've got to make that pretty early i would imagine based on what the ball is doing off the foot of the free kick taker um so you must stay external with your focus of attention so to sum up approach and external approach and external uh, Dan, you know, by the way, speaking of you saying, you know, we'd know better than you. Uh, no, it sounds like, you know, goalkeeping pretty darn well based on, I think you just, Omar, didn't he just basically bring up all, just the, all, all the, all the technical and tactical elements that are most important in a free, in a free yes. game like that? Yes, that was, no, that was, that was great. I think that's to me. I mean, I wish I would have heard this when I was uh, 12, 13, I probably would have saved a lot more situations where my defenders yelled at me for not uh, being assertive, but, uh, but never, it's never too late. So it's good. Um, and, and, and exchange that term, sorry, Michael, for assertive yeah. for a positive intent. It's approach behavior. Assertiveness is approach behavior. And that, 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 that is, it is so fundamental to this. You have to be. And that's why my number one technique is a game face. Because if, if, if a player can have the, that metaphor, that picture metaphor, those uh, adjectives, those keywords that relate to assertive, that relate to approach behavior, you can set them in a behavioral mode that is ready to make a, 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 an assertive decision, an approach-related decision. But they also have to have an attention focused outwards, an external focus of attention rather than inwards. When you're anxious and you're in, you're going to be too far there and you're not going to be able to, to um, track um, from your scanning the flight of the ball and you'll make a mistake and bang, it could be a goal. Dan, I want to bring up something before we go on to this next clip because I was just thinking of myself. And one of the things that I've recognized with myself when it comes to set pieces is that when I don't hold my value based on how successful my action is on set pieces, I'm much more successful on set pieces. When I think of myself and my self-worth based on how positive my action is on that set piece, I, I fall apart. Um, is that is that something you've ever come across? Um, can you can you are you saying when you say I I set myself worth like, based yeah. on a positive yeah go on. yeah like so basically so I've just recognized this like that when I don't 
I'm not as worried about it. I'm not, I, I, it doesn't matter as much. And I know that sounds horrible, but like if it, I mean, I care, but I don't care. Like if I, but if I hyper care and if I'm so, and if I'm so focused on like how I'm going, how, if, if my action is negative, then I'm, that's my, my worth is less. If my action is positive, my worth is more, you know, those types of stakes, I, I, I do worse. So again, I, I don't know if you've ever come across that before. What, what, the way I can answer that is like this. So the goalkeeper I'm working with who plays at the very top level of the game, who has a game face of sharp, dominant, a black. We've worked hard on him not giving, I won't swear here, I won't cuss, uh, not giving a damn about performance. He doesn't care about performance. Um, he will still care about performance because that will never go away because he's socialized into that. But the narrative going into the game is I don't care about the performance. The performance will take care of itself. My job is to be sharp, dominant, and black, is to keep an external uh, focus of attention as often as possible. I have two controllers, my self-talk, my body. I use those to be sharp, dominant, and black at all times. I've got to stay in approach behavior at all times. If I have an ant, I squash it instantly. I will have ants. It's inevitable, but I'm going to squash those as quickly as I possibly can, which is basically instantly. I'm going to be brutal with my mindset. I'm going to stay in a high-performance mindset no matter what. I don't care about my performance. My performance will take care of itself. There will be games where I might have an average performance. That's okay. I accept that. But it is unacceptable for me to drop from my high-performance mindset to my low-performance mindset, or it's more unacceptable for me to drop from my high-performance mindset to my low-performance mindset. So there's this mental gymnastics going on. For example, Mike, I think you and I had spoken to Nathan Thackeray and at one point, he told me that uh, for shorter goalkeepers, you'd be surprised how much you can actually influence the set piece just based on your positioning. So if you actually if you take a more dominant approach by staying a little bit higher and showing the set piece you know, taker that you're going to be assertive in that in that space, even if you are a little bit afraid or you said the, uh, you know, I'm sorry, your approach behavior. If your approach behavior is to be positive, even though you are mentally maybe still afraid or still a little bit have those ants, but if you have that approach behavior where you're a little bit more assertive and you're in that space, you're going to influence that striker as well. There's a domino effect of when you go somewhere, there's a causal effect as well. So I think for me is it, when you start kind of shifting your perspective of you're the only person burdening the automatic negative thoughts in that moment, other people are as well. You can start really, I think, reshifting and reshaping the the way the situation is, is developing. Let's see how this comes up right here. So, Omar, this is uh, this is against Oakland Roots right here. This is 85th minute. Obviously, Oakland's up. Uh, so, you know, you guys are still trying. You're still in a position where you could potentially get a goal and get a point with a, a big, obviously, rival. This is a massive, massive situation. So, kind of walk us through why, kind of what happens here. Well, I, I haven't forgot this play. So go ahead and play it. Let okay. me just see it real quick. A little bit okay, of a bobble, yeah. but. If any, I mean, if anybody has played on that Oakland field, it is it is tough, man. You could play you could play a straight pass, and by the time it gets there, it could have already moved like four or five yards to the right or to the left. It's a weird, weird surface. So even here, we're down a man uh, to Oakland. So for us, trying to get that second goal, which we eventually did. So in this moment, Alex, for me, just trying to be positive, you know, take care of that space, watch his footing, and as he receives it, look for the outlet opportunities. Yeah. So then, then the ball comes in now. This little bobble right here is that you know where we were talking about kind of like you know being hyper being hyper focused and overly focused and that sort of thing. Is that kind of a, a moment of a freezing in your opinion, or is that just a just a simple just a hands were a little stiff type of situation? Uh, could have just been maybe stiff, but I think to your point earlier about like not allowing your self worth 
be so attached to the final outcome or the final decision. And I remember when I was younger too, uh, my goalkeeper coach was super, you know, played that mental game with us again, so that in, in games we wouldn't necessarily be nervous or, you know, be too worried about uh, the game because in training he had those high pressure moments for us mentally and physically. So I remember there were times where a ball get crossed in and I wouldn't catch it at its highest point And I'd kind of like backtrack to the far post and catch it. And I would come off at halftime and say, coach, I apologize. I should have caught it at the highest point. And he would tell me, it's okay, Omar, as long as you dealt with the situation, I don't care. You dealt with the situation the best of your, of your ability. Fantastic. So I think here with Alex, yes, could he have caught the ball a little bit better? Sure. But at the end of the day, too, there's so many factors and variables that maybe he probably couldn't have caught at the highest point because somebody was running right there. So he felt taking it down on a second touch. So for me, it's like as long as he executed it, I'm, I'm not mad at it. So I don't know if it's a mental thing, but I think he did what he needed to do. So, so we, we lost Dan for a second right there, so I don't know if Dan got this clips here, so we're going to kind of play it again. And uh, if you can just kind of give a little bit of context here, Omar, before before kind of Dan kind of gets into it um, as we kind of watch it. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. No, I, I, and, and it's a service in. We're down a man away uh, to Oakland Roots, and, uh, you know, we're trying to obviously go get that second goal. But as we always talk about with our, you know, with our work and goalkeeping is if you have two actions in the play, finish the first one before moving on to the second one. So even when we do exercises in training, even though the second one is an announced service, make sure that you catch the first one and then go to the second one. So I think, again, in this situation, it was one where we wanted Alex to obviously find the outlet opportunities, but he needed to take care of the first one, which he did on a second attempt here on the second bobble. Um, and then he you know, got us forward on a counterattack opportunity. But I'm looking at the eyes right there, and Dan, I don't know if you noticed this as well too, is that you can see that his focus is on the next play. It's not on the moment, the, the, the current action that's going on right now. You know, and I, I feel a lot of times this is what leads to mis you know, mistakes by goalkeepers. No, I think, yes, Mike, I think to your point, if you're, if you're trying to make perfection the goal, and in my opinion, there's got to be some wiggle room up there because if you try to be too perfect in situations, like I told you earlier, I was apologizing to my goalkeeper coach because it wasn't exactly as we trained. But in reality, it's all about results and finding opportunities and ways to get a result without playing your perfect game. So I think in this situation, yes, can we criticize? But for me, there's no value in me stepping in and saying, Alex, you should have done this better. When in reality, it's just like, I took care of it, Omar. You don't have to be so critical, for me at least. Yeah, and I, and I think, Michael, it's a good clip to play because I agree with Omar. I think it's finding that sweet spot between challenge and support in many respects. It, it, it's we want to, to, to challenge players. Um, I, think, I think that kind of clip can be played and just having a conversation about it uh, and, 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 and probably leaving it there because I, I, I agree with Omar. The reality is when you're stretching yourself, um, when you're playing, um, you're you're probably going to make some mistakes at some times, and I and I know repercussions of that at, when mistakes happen at the wrong time for a goalkeeper or in the wrong way can be can be absolutely uh, or can can kill the game for you. So so there's a there's an extra onus on that. But I mean, I always cringe a little bit when historically I, I've I've I you know I look back and I think of the number of times that coaches might shout out, "Take care, take care, take care." Um, you know, if anything, I think that actually let's come back to that avoidant versus approach. The, pro the, the, the problem or the challenge of saying take care is it can put players um, into that avoidant uh, situation um, when they try to be too perfect. I completely agree with Omar. The, 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 the challenge is we can become avoidant as a consequence. If somebody is, um, you know, uh, at that appropriate 
challenge point where they, you know, they have to play and work at the right intensity with speed. They, the game demands that they make quick decisions. And that's, you know, there are 11 players on the pitch now, aren't there? You know, you are, you are a footballer now as a, as a goalkeeper. That's what the game demands. So, of course, you're going to um, sometimes make a slight error like that. Um, seems like he recovered uh, quite well. It's just a conversation, isn't it? And it's just an acknowledgement of, um, it's not a take care. It's just an acknowledgement of this happened. Okay. Anything to say about it? Okay. Let's move on. That that would be my, but I'm not a goalkeeping coach, so it wouldn't be my place to say that. I just think that that's, that's relevant. I think the last thing to say is uh, apologies for getting cut off there, but midway between getting cut off, I mean, I, I was doing a long ramble about sharp, dominant, black and what that player thinks. I don't know how much of that you heard, but it's about saying, I accept that um, uh, you, you have to be much more accepting of performances maybe much tougher on yourself, more tolerant on performances, tougher on yourself on uh, mindset. And when I did briefly come in before getting cut off again, I, I did hear Omar say something really personal, which is, you know, kind of accepting uh, that, that the, those thoughts, those negative thoughts, those ants are going to happen and that that's okay. And that's such a crucial message. Um, and that's a message I give all players is working with me isn't about having no ants, automatic negative thoughts. No, that just doesn't exist. Um, it's about um, turning down the volume of ants. It's, you have to accept that you're going to have ants. And it's being comfortable in engaging in the right mental techniques or striving to engage in the right frame of mind whilst experiencing ants. That's the ultimate skill. You know, I, I, I love what you just said right there, Dan, because I think that's one of the biggest problems that I think a lot of young, as, as we kind of go into, I think, a more of a successful activity right here, Omar. And I, that's one of the reasons why I want to kind of compare and contrast here. I think we are, as as goalkeeper coaches, sometimes we're we're so fixated on trying to make the goalkeeper, you know, always positive, always positive, always positive, without realizing that human beings just aren't always aren't always going to be sure of themselves, aren't always going to be confident. You know, you could be the, the best player in the world and you're still going to have doubt. You could be, you could be Messi, you could be Ronaldo and you're still going to have those moments of doubt, you know? And I think sometimes that's difficult, especially for younger coaches to understand, you know, uh, of their younger players. That's such an important message. It's, you, you know, who's hundred percent confident all the time, whatever that means. It, it's, it's, um, it, I suppose the one thing I'd say back at you there or, or uh, to what you're saying is, uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, motivations happen to you. We experience these things. We have to accept that um, and acknowledge we potentially need skills to be able to deal with it. That's that's the important thing. Yeah, I want to. So I want to start with this play right here, Omar. This is uh, the 54th minute. This is uh, against Orange County. This was pretty late into the season as well, too, right? So right here. Um, Ball comes in essentially, and here's a. I mean, in my opinion, this is kind of the difference right here, is full focus on the moment, on the action right now, as opposed to focusing on the next. Obviously, the scenario is different. Obviously, you know, you're not looking to try to get a quick goal to, to try to draw the score. You're you're trying to stay level right now, and you know, you're you're looking just to get your team out of the play here. But this is a long throw-in, which I think a lot of times we forget that throw-ins are set pieces. It's not just dead balls in regards to from a striking from the from the feet but also throw-ins uh are definitely these types of scenarios right here so the ball's played in alex looks at it nice and clean boom simple hold 
in a big pile. Uh, Omar, any thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you're a Las Vegas Lights fan and you've watched our games early in the season, you could see that uh, there were two instances against Orange County on this field uh, where they scored two goals in the same match, where Alex I think wasn't as comfortable and the team didn't have the same uh, synergy where with where he wanted the players to be. So there was a huge clutter, and in the first uh, I think week of the season, he concedes two because he has people on top of him and he can't get a solid punch. So I think, again, when you rewatch these, you have to realize as well, for me, I noticed this season is that you're going to be exposed to a lot of these situations throughout the season, very similar ones. So as Dan said, like having those conversations with the goalkeeper of like, you're going to see this over and over and over. So to continue to deflect and not have a solution or to not at least talk through a potential solution is only going to mess you up throughout the season. So let's find a way early in the season where you can either communicate that you want more space or you find a way to push people off to create your space. I think the la- the latter, or excuse me, the uh, the former is probably the best way to do it. Let the defenders know what space you need. And if you want to zone a guy in front of the guy who's trying to head the ball, perfect. If you don't want someone behind that guy, then you take care of it. But again, it's knowing prior to the game what you're potentially going to see. And can we influence the pictures so that in that moment, we can focus on the ball being served versus all the other pieces around it. Dan, how important is that for a goalkeeper to to um, verbalize what in what in what how they feel comfortable? Because some goalkeepers are more comfortable when they have space. Some other goalkeepers would rather be, you know, what would be more on on in in position type of a thing. Um, I'm personally the type of goalkeeper that like when I you know I'm. In, in a situation like this, I want to be able to run into the play. I want to have my momentum as opposed to being jumbled up with a bunch of people. Alex obviously seems, seems to be okay with this and being able to, to get people off. How important is it that, that you know yourself and then you tell people what you want? You know what? The way I'm going to answer this, sports people, footballers are doers rather than talkers. It comes with the territory, right? Um, And the problem there, the challenge there is that conversation is really important. You know, great athletes. Funnily enough, I was listening to the the Joe Rogan show the other day, which is half as good as your podcast and half as good as my podcast, clearly. Don't tell Omar that. Don't tell Omar that. (laughs) Has a slightly larger audience base, possibly. Possibly. (laughs) Certainly than mine, maybe not than yours. But, um, uh, and he said something that's very true, um, which is... You know, they were, he was actually talking to Dr. Phil and it was it was an OK episode. You might have seen it, but they were talking about athletes and some of the conversations were, was good and informed and other bits not so much. But, it, you know, he said that, you know, the best because obviously you talk about fighting because that's his thing, you know, fighting sports, MMA. And he was talking the best really think they really think about their sport. You've got to be cerebral. You've got to be intelligent. You've got to think about your game. And I'm answering it in this way because I, I, I agree with that, but also. What lack? What's lacking? And I and I can tell you what's lacking in the Premier League. Um, and I know it's not because I've been in every single environment, but I've worked with players at just about every single club in the Premier League and the English Championship over the last fifteen years. And not enough conversation goes on. There's not enough of a platform for players to start to have a conversation about their game, what they see, what they feel, what they experience. And I get why there's not, because we're quite scared in sport to have that, because we're doers and not talkers necessarily. We like to go and do, and there's a kind of a bit of a fear of overthinking the game and, ah, oh, Dan, stop talking about this. Let's just go out and do it. That's a problem. 
and and we don't want to talk too much about it but but we do need to as an example michael goalkeeper sit down with defenders let's have a conversation how do you see the game you know when you're out there there's a difference between knowledge in the game and knowledge of the game and knowledge of the game is the goalkeeping responsibilities that you have related to the game model, the manager, the head coach wants to play. That's knowledge of the game. It's Knowledge of the game is knowledge of your position as a goalkeeper in general. Knowledge in the game is the game as it unfolds. And, and every goalkeeper is going to have different experiences about how they feel as games unfold what they prefer, what they like, what they don't like. And you spelt that out for us, Michael, there in, 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 in your way. Now, we need more conversations. Now, what those conversations do is they create what we in psychology called shared mental models. Shared mental models. By and large, task cohesion exists, as in we've all got our noses pointed in the same direction around the objective, as in we want to win, we want to high perform, We've got the game model. That's how we're going to go and do it. There's the task cohesion. By and large, that's reasonably good. But under underpinning that is a shared mental model. What do we know? What knowledge do we have about each and every player? Their experiences, how they see the game, what helps them, what hinders them, their strengths, their areas they're trying to improve, what communication works for them, what doesn't work for them so much. That's lacking. Again, I understand why it's lacking, but... When a club, when a team comes along and becomes better at pockets of communication around that, then that team's really going to prosper. So this is absolutely vital, Michael. It's absolutely vital. And what goes hand in hand with that, I'll give you another bit of psychological jargon here, and that's psychological safety, in my opinion. We need more safety in the room for players to feel like they can express vulnerability, that they can actually sit there and say, you know what, I don't love it so much with those uh, dead ball deliveries. I don't love it so much when the free kick is taken now. I don't love it so much with those long throw-ins and that penalty area is packed. Um, it makes me a bit anxious. I, 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 and I think sport is a long way off that, you know, proffering that or offering that. But that would be that would be like the cherry on the cake, right? But we got, you know, we, we don't have the cake in the first place. We haven't got the conversations there. We just go out, we train, it's done. We have some banter in the dining hall, then we go home. And and we we need space for conversation. Sorry. No, no. I no, I absolutely Dan, I mean you're you're making my head explode here in, in a very good way because I never even thought about this before, you know, and, and, and we were talking about obviously Omar's as, as we're wrapping up. And I think this is a great way to wrap everything the this conversation up because I know you need to go, we all need to go. But like is that Omar the situation you were in in the professional environment this this past year with the reserve team and everything like that, if there had been more communication between all the different players on on what where they and being vulnerable and saying this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is where I feel comfortable, this is where I don't feel comfortable, it could have led for some more successful situations. No, I I think so. I think I mean I I won't take anything away from our first team staff either. Or our first team, the head coach and our assistant coach, um, they had conversations with the players as well. I think for me, I think I probably can, and I will do hopefully next season is to create that environment now where these players feel as though they can come to me and express themselves. So at the end of the day, like we all do well, if you do well, and if I can create an environment where you feel like your guard can be let down and you can tell me things that you need to work on that 
maybe you should have fine-tuned a few years ago, but you haven't gotten to it yet because you didn't have the, you know what, to tell the coach, then tell me. I'll put that in our sessions and I'll continue to layer it. And throughout the season, I'll keep an eye on those situations. So I think it's, Dan, to your point, it's, it's we're, we're more in control of creating that environment than we think. Well, 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 Dan, honestly, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, man. I mean, I know it's it's getting late over there, but always just un, unreal, man. I just, I, you know, I know Omar's got notes. I've got, I've got, I've got notes. Uh, just do. always learning, man. I'm just always learning. And I just want to say from a personal standpoint, a lot of what you've been, been teaching out there, you know, not just here, but also on, on your other podcast has helped me as a men's league goalkeeper now still to this day uh, where we ended up winning the championship. Uh, and I was MVP of the, of, of, of the, of the, of the championship game. And a lot of it has to do with you, Dan, maybe some conversations <laughs> with Omar too, but, but a lot, a lot to, a lot to do with Dan right here. Well, um, my, my, my invoice is in the post mate. So uh, <laughs> you, can, you can buy me a beer in Kansas. I said that, or get me my golden, um, my golden slippers, your golden slippers. Well, well, Omar definitely has, you definitely have to send an invoice to Omar for the whole session that you had earlier. Uh, oh man. I think, I think the last thing I'll say too, is I think these are for me, when we have these conversations are, are it sparks ideas for me on a personal level. And I think when I start to think on a personal level and then I expand on that, I realize that, okay, if I'm thinking about this, the goalkeeper that I have or other people that I come in contact with about goalkeeping are also thinking it. So that's where all the ideas begin to exchange and you kind of start realizing like, Oh wow. Okay. Those thoughts that you have, everybody has. And some people are just more bold enough to speak up about it and, and find solutions. So I think that's where I'm at now is trying to find my own solutions, but also provide the platform for the goalkeepers that I have to, to speak on it or to find their solutions as well. Speaking of platforms, Dan, uh, while we get going here, if anybody wants to connect with you, where uh, what, what, what's the best way to connect with you right now? Sure. Um, so, firstly, thank thank you so much, and honoured and humbled as always. My fifth time, apparently, being on here, and I'm looking forward to the sixth, which I think will probably be in Kansas. Um, I uh, can be found. Um, my website is danabrahams.com. Um, I have uh, my uh, soccer academy, which is on there. Which you know, look for a, a little bit of a. a, a it's like forty nine pounds for the year, which is about sixty dollars, uh, which you get you know quite a lot of content you know uh there so it might be of interest uh sports like show is my podcast um follow me on twitter at dan abraham 77 uh, at uh, instagram at dan abraham's sport i think um and yeah i think that's that's me cool yeah and, and and guys definitely keep keep following that that twitter feed i mean there's just if you don't have time to listen to the podcast or you know you may not be in the financial situation where where you can be subs- be subscribing you know uh, to all the content those little tw- those little twitter notes that you bring and a lot of times you bring them up based on actual moments actual scenarios that are happening right now in relevant games that yeah. you're watching yourself you know this yeah. this past weekend um really really vital and 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 you make people think which i think is the most important thing. I think there's needs to be more of that on social media where you're making people think rather than giving your opinion. Um, and I love that. Cool. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, and obviously guys, you can reach out to Omar Zini at pro GK Academy underscore. If you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion at goalkeeper podcast on all social media platforms. Uh, if you want to check out my tour schedule for comedy, Michael Magid comedy.com or at Michael Magid on social medias. That's all the time on inside the 18 and we are out later guys. Yeah.